Hey, Trudeau, come on, it's clap. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. Those watching online for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And, man, I have to tell you, today was a unique day. Anyone wake up and just like, you're like, today's going to be a different day. You don't know if it's good or bad. You just know it's going to be a different day. Um, I, I, I remember there's certain times when I communicate that I just things have happened, and I'll never forget those moments. One being um, when my daughter was younger, and um, I was getting ready to preach uh, to, you know, seven, eight hundred people, and she was sitting on my lap. It was a Christmas service, and uh, she had wet herself, um, and it went right through the diaper all over my crotch. And uh, I didn't find out until 20 seconds before I was getting ready to go up on the platform. And uh, so I jumped up on the stage saying, hey, good morning, or, you know, good evening, everybody. And I just said, I didn't wet myself. You know, that was literally the first line. And uh, today, it was funny, we were um, up in the green room, and I had, uh, I had anyone... Uh, I cut myself shaving and I was like, oh, not a big deal. It won't be, I don't have to worry about it. And I had literally stuff stuck in my nose upstairs for the last like hour. And uh, as I'm walking down the steps for the nine o'clock service, it literally comes off and I'm all good. And uh, I have this urge to like want to like wipe my nose, but I, I don't want to do that because if I do, my nose will start bleeding. And I just want you to know if that happens, like I don't have a new form of like the coronavirus. I don't have any type of like infection. Um, I cut myself shaving. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Katie, you're gonna let me know if I start to like all right? It's not awkward for me, but I know if I shove the tissue up my nose, none of you would be able to focus. So um, I, I had it up there, and I saw one of the guys that helped me. I said, hey, Shane, is this all right? He says, I just really, he's trying to be as diplomatic as possible. Pastor, I just really don't think anyone would be able to focus if you have that shoved up your nose. And um, so we're all good. Now, can you say Amen. It's good to be in God's house. Uh, today, I'm going to continue this series that we started last week um, on legacy. Legacy is really about what you leave behind. And uh, one of the things that I want to take just a short vision break on is to share with you about the college. You've heard um, from Pastor Brian and you saw on Church News different things about True North College. I want you to know that that had, had been in our heart as a senior leadership uh, for close to a decade. Uh, we want people not to just intellectually be filled with knowledge about God, but we want them to know the word well enough to equip and train other people um, so that we can be strong in our theology, strong in the way that we love and the way that we care for other people. And we believe that the vision of this house exceeds myself and the leaders that are present, that we need thousands of leaders to reach the the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, not only just in this state, but beyond the nation and across the world. And we believe that that is the call that God's placed on this house. And uh, spring enrollment is open for the college. And how many of you usually look to like for God to give you affirmation for a big step? Does anyone else do that? You like make a big step. You're like, God, man, I just, just, God, I just need something small. Just give me affirmation about it. And I have to tell you how God and I kind of, the way we work, I, I was praying about this saying, God, come on, we're getting ready to kick off the college and we have the big Sunday launch. Do you remember that here? We had banners everywhere hanging. It was a big Sunday launch. There's nearly 3,000 people at church on the weekend. And I'm like, man, this is amazing. This has been almost 10 years in the making. We launch and then Corona hits. The church is shut down the following Sunday. And I'm like, God, I knew you wanted me to do this. Sometimes opposition is the affirmation that you've been waiting for. It just comes differently. It just looks different. And God wants you not to place trust in the way that circumstances are, but trust and hope in him. 
that regardless of what goes on around us, that he's still in control. In the fall semester, we have 25 students enrolled, and it was amazing and continues to be. I have been so blessed in teaching in the college, and I just want to encourage you, if that's your next step or you're contemplating it, talk to some of the staff, some of the professors that are out there. They'd love to talk to you about what it means to be part of the college, and many of you have sown generously into the college and enabled us to continue to build upon our library and enable other students that financially can't afford it to be able to attend, so I just want to say thank you to those who have continued to give to that. That is leaving an eternal legacy to raise up people in God. Can you say amen to that? It's been fantastic. Psalm 112, verse five through six, it says, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never, everybody say never, will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. I love how God's word speaks in absolutes. We do that when we accuse our spouse of something. You never, you know, you said never? You always, you know. Usually it comes from our own brokenness or insecurity that we make accusations. But when it comes from the word of God, it's coming from a place of eternal promise. And saying the righteous will never be shaken. Our culture today wants you to feel shaken about what's going on. They want you to fear, feel overwhelmed. They want you to feel as if things are so chaotic that nothing will bring healing, that nothing will be, bring peace, that everything will be always be shaken. But the word of God declares that the righteous, not in just bad seasons, difficult seasons, it says the righteous will never be shaken and they will be remembered forever. What type of legacy do you want to leave? When your time on earth is gone and, and you are no longer here, what do you want your children to say about you? What do you want your children, children's children to say about you and the generations to come? Do you want them to say that you were so successful in what you've done and you, you, you left them an inheritance, you, which is good. The Bible speaks of an inheritance, that we should leave an inheritance to our children's children. But it's far beyond wealth. It's far beyond monetary means. It's far beyond homes and beach homes and extra cars and, 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 and all these other things. There's something further beyond that. The Bible says that our life, our present day life here on earth, the place where we inhabit now is here today and gone tomorrow. Life is like a vapor. It's like not the greatest like ins inspirational thing to hear, you know? Hey, your life, it's like gone. You're like, oh, well, thanks, I guess, you know. I believe it's, it's divine perspective. It's truth. Because sometimes in the busyness of life, we get so, so encapsulated in what we're trying to accomplish that we tell God often, God, soon. God, when I get this done. God, when I get this done. God, when I'm ready. God, when I have time. God, when this is accomplished, then I'll. And God, when I have time to do this, and my friend, what I've come to proclaim to you today is that you'll never be ready to surrender everything to God. You need to do it today. And you need to fully put your hope and your trust in God today. You don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't tell God, well, God, I just, you know, I need to get this in order and I need to get this in order. No, don't wait. I realize when it comes to leaving an eternal legacy that 
that many of us, we, we would love to, to tell God what that looks like. Say, God, well, I would love to do this and I would love to do that. And God gives us the autonomy to, to pursue our dreams and our passions. But I can tell you that when we're talking about leaving an eternal legacy, something that spans the course of time, that is not restricted by time, it's not storing up things that are successful in the eyes of the world. It's not. And I know that's hard because it, it, we spend a majority of our life pursuing things, constructing things, working towards, and not all of it in and of itself is bad. We talked about that last week. Remember, we talked about the good things and the bad things will be judged, but the bad things are not moral or unethical things. They're just in the eyes of eternity. They have no value. And so I believe through the word of God, we see the word of God kind of pull our eyes onto Jesus, to pull our eyes onto a lifestyle living with eternity in mind. What a time we're living in today, where people are almost operating by fear automatically. And I'm astonished by many things, and maybe more so than anything else, the, the responsiveness of the church in this season. I want you to know that what's going on with this coronavirus and what's going on with, with everything in, in society, there's, there's deception prevalent in all things. And maybe more so than anything that you're witnessing is deception, spiritual deception. And I'm not speaking from just one, one part of the world or one political party. Deception is happening all around us. People are forfeiting liberties and freedoms at the expense of safety. But then no one really knows what true reports are. Is it as bad as people say it? Is it not as bad? And we begin to just continually to divide one another, to become frustrated with one another. Well, this group wears masks and this group doesn't wear masks. Well, this group says it's serious. This group says it's not serious. And it's, it's as if the news and the talking heads that we watch on a daily basis, which I've been saying this for months, but some of you are addicted to negativity. You're addicted to the chaos of the world. You're addicted to hearing people tell you how bad things are going to be and how terrible things are. And I just want you to know that in the perspective of the way that God sees it, he never said, I want you to determine your peace, your hope, and your future after you watch CNN. Like he doesn't say that. And for many of us as believers, we're like, well, pastor, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to live by faith, but I'll tell you what. You'll tell me what? What will you tell me? No, no, you hear, you hear what I'm saying? The subtleties of our humanity is always to say, God, I trust you, but. God, I, I'm living by faith, but. God, I'm going to give, but God, I'm going to serve, but you know what? And all those things. That's why when the young rich man came before God, God said nothing about him being rich as the problem of it. It was the one thing I won't let go. He says, I can't surrender it. And some of us, it's not just monetary things. It's issues of bitterness and unforgiveness. For many of us today, it's fear and anxiety. Do you know all of us will have fear? All of us will have fear. But it's do we have a fear of God or a fear of man? For many of us, we have a greater fear of what we hear on the news than we do of God. And we have greater trust of people on the news than, than we do of God's word. 
And so we go about our lives, turning on the news, listening to the radio, filled with fear, filled being overwhelmed, filled with, oh, I don't know what the future holds, it's going to be chaos, this is happening, that is happening. No, God has actually called us to live in such a time as this. You're not accidentally here. God didn't say, oh, I just can, let me figure out the worst time in history, and then I'll place you in it. God doesn't do that. He puts you here for a reason, to operate not with uncertainty, but with certainty, not with confusion, but with clarity, not with lack of purpose, but with purpose and with meaning. To do what? To be the salt and the light in a chaotic world. To actually proclaim the goodness of Jesus today. And how do we do that? By looking at people who adamantly oppose what we believe and still love them. Still care for them. So you know what? If you don't have a friend that, that believes nothing you believe, you need to find one. Let that be the barometer of how you can show grace and show patience to people. So we're like, I can't be around people. That what? That you're called to change? <laughs> that you're called to influence? Now, with, with all due respect, you need to balance that with other people who are like-minded, who speak faith and hope into your heart. That's why we serve together. That's why we do life together. That's why we have crews. Some of us seem to think that we do these things in the church just because we have nothing else better to do. It's like, hey, we have crews. Why? Well, because we want people to think we do something like we actually like each other, you know? That way people ask, like, yeah, I kind of like them. I go to this crew once a week. No, we do life together. We do life with one another. And just because we may disagree on certain issues, it doesn't mean that we discard one another and we don't talk to one another. We can actually use our mind and talk through things being guided by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. <laughs> The approach we take today, oh, I don't have time for it, and we walk away. Can I tell you something? That's the very thing that people do with God. And his children cannot afford to do that with people that are far from him. We have to be willing to stand in the gap of chaos and confusion and say, I welcome it so that I can demonstrate God's love to you and his peace to you. So what do we do in a world like this? In a world where everyone wants to do as they see fit, it's evident today that deception and hypocrisy is all over in politics, in government. It's evident that lies and corruption are evident around us. It's evident that division is amongst us. Like you don't have to be a scientist to determine that. But it's really hard for people to quantify the emotional depression that people deal with in times like this. I wonder if people talk about the necessity of being around people. They won't if there's no spiritual implications to it for them. Because to them it's minuscule. But relationship and fellowship with one another is of the utmost importance. It strengthens our soul and our resolve. It enables us to care and to lay hands on one another and pray. To worship our God together. Not because we come to church to just be entertained and come to church just to kind of, I have nothing else better to do. We come here because God's worthy of it. We come here to worship because he's worthy of our praise. Yeah. And we gather with one another and we pray with one another because that's what God, that's who we are. Yeah. It's who we are. You'll lose your way in a chaotic society if the loudest voice is everyone else but God. 
You'll forget who you are and you'll start to determine what should I do. It's not what should I do, it's who am I first. If you are in Christ, you all, God has already ordained what we should do. And he's laid it out before us. This is not uncertainty, what should I do in times of calamity? And what should I do in times of chaos when the whole world begins to pull back and to isolate themselves and chaos and hypocrisy and lies and deception are rampant among society? What does the church do? It advances. It builds. It gathers together. It loves one another. It prays for one another. And I can tell you, church, that in a time like this, it's so easy for people to trust man more than God. It's so easy for people. Can I tell you, when God called his people out of Egypt, they were enslaved for 400 years. Generation after generation after generation had an expectation. This is who we are. This is what we do. We shut our mouths. We do what we're told. We don't question, and we just get in line because we are slaves. And God called one person out by the name of Moses. And he says, I'm going to use you. And he says, well, no, you're not. And he says, I didn't ask you your permission. I'm going to use you. He says, well, I can't speak well. He goes, I didn't ask you that. I'm going to use you. Just like we do when God calls us. We say, well, God, surely there's someone else because you know me. I know me. There's got to be someone else. God sees us differently. God calls us and chooses us. And he does the same with Moses. He calls Moses. He uses him to get the people out of slavery. And he leads them. The Bible doesn't say they accidentally end up somewhere. The Bible says they are led by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. It's not like they didn't. That was the ultimate GPS. You know, no one had to wonder. No one had problems trying to navigate. They're like, oh, there's a huge fireball coming from the clouds. I guess we go that way, you know. It was easy. And so he leads them to this place of what seemed to be certain death. They are surrounded by an enemy and an adversary that doesn't want to come down and have a diplomatic meeting with them. They want to kill them, annihilate them, and bring back probably those that survived to continue to enslave them. So they're surrounded by chariots. You have to picture this in your own life. What is surrounding you now in your family? Is it lack? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it worry about the future? You would, if, if I place my future and my hope and my trust in any man, I would worry. If my hope and my trust and my confidence was in any person, I would worry. But it's not. It's in a divine, almighty God. That's who my hope and my faith and my trust are in. It's, they're in him. And so when God brings his people here, guess what they do when they're surrounded by an enemy? <laughs> they start complaining and pointing fingers. They don't care about the 10 things that Moses did to get them out of slavery. They don't care about what God did and the miracles he worked. They don't care about how he's feeding them with frosted flakes from heaven. They don't care about any of that stuff. All they care about is we got a problem. We can't see the way out. Why did you bring us here, God? And Moses could have rebuked them. He could have yelled at them, which at times he did, but he could have lost his mind because they're stuck between a sea and an adversary. And I love what scripture says because scripture doesn't try to fabricate 
a solution. It doesn't try to give a, a one-line emotional picture. It just tells it from heaven to Moses, stand still. See, sometimes in our flesh, when things happen or there's a fight present or there's enemies, spiritual forces working against us, we want to fight in our flesh. We want to push back. We want to do things. And there's nothing wrong with advocating for freedom and liberty and speaking and declaring truth and praying for people, but in a spirit that honors God with love and with grace. God tells Moses, tell the people to stand still and watch God deliver them from their enemy. Stand still. It often fights in opposition to our flesh. When we talk about leaving a legacy for generations to come, it has to be done with an eternal perspective. In Hebrews chapter 13, the word of God says, therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Some of us will acknowledge the word, the word of God. Maybe you're like me. Maybe, maybe you have the propensity to say, oh yeah, I know this is my home. But, but intellectually, we can repeat what we read in the text. But in our soul, in our spirit, our actions don't demonstrate it. We're like, yeah, yeah, I know this isn't my home, that my home is in heaven. Yeah, I got it. Well, what do, am I living like a citizen of heaven? Am I living like a citizen of heaven? Am I truly representing a divine kingdom as an ambassador of Christ? I really believe in this season of life, God is shaping his children. He's taking away the things that we've placed our trust in. He's reducing the things that control us. And he's having us the option to lift our eyes to him or to fix our eyes on men. It's a unique season for us, for you, for me. Just because we gather together doesn't mean we all are going to take the same step in the same direction towards God. Some of us in our uncertainty step sideways. Some of us in our frustration step backwards. And God is still faithful regardless. He still comes after us. He still, still pursues us. He still loves us in spite of it. But he calls us to step towards him. Many people try to dig down and protect themselves. To try to fight for greater control in uncertain seasons. And in all these seasons, in all of them, may you, my prayer for you is that at night, you would be able to go before God and lay your head down and say, God, man, you've blessed me with all of it. You can take it all away. God, I want to leave something beyond monetary means. God, I want to leave a legacy. I want to be known that though I was flawed in many ways and I messed up in this and in that, but God, my heart was to pursue you, that I draw, that I would follow you and pursue you and bring as many people to your house as I possibly could, but let it be known that my heart was devoted to you. You know, people see that in your lifestyle. Man, I'm just praying that our actions speak so much louder than our words today. I'm praying that as we consider leaving a legacy for God, that we don't get stuck on a monetary position of things. All oh, the pastor's talking about money. No, I'm talking about our devotion to God. You want to know how to leave an eternal legacy? Give yourself to God. All of yourself. 
Not just the things that you think are worthy of giving. Give your entire self. Your insecurities, your anxieties, your fears. Your impure thoughts, your actions, your deceit, your pride, arrogance. All of it. Give it all. Your brokenness, your shame, your guilt. You give it all to God. That's what it means to surrender yourself to Him. Some of us unknowingly or so dishonoring to God. We say, God, I give you myself, but I'm not going to give you my time to serve. I'm not going to give you my resources. I'm not going to give you my heart. I'm not, I just want to make sure I go to heaven when I die. And can I tell you something? God sent his one and only son from heaven to earth to bleed and to die on a cross for much more than for you to just think you get out of a jail free card. He's come to give you life and life more abundantly. And you might be saying, well, what's holding me back? You, it's a trust in the things around you. Every day when I wake up, I have to remind myself that I'm not saved by works. I don't, I'm not saved because I stand on this platform or in some way I'm better than you. I'm saved by his grace, his unmerited favor. I can't work for it. I can't say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach every day until I die. And in some way, God says, oh, that's worthy of it. The Bible says none are righteous, not even one. And so we come to God in our brokenness. We surrender ourselves to him, and when we do that, the Bible says he's faithful to forgive. That nothing we've ever done or will do is far enough to prevent God from welcoming us back. And so when, when you surrender yourself fully to God, it's easy to give. It's easy to tithe. It's easy to serve. It's easy to love. It's easy to care. It's easy to have patience with people. Because you're like, man, God, you've been so patient to me. God, you've been so faithful to me. That eternal perspective that life is like a vapor, it's here today and gone tomorrow, should be one of those things that always helps us go back to the place of God and saying, God, help me not to waste my days. Help me not to become confused, distracted, deceived. And where I invest my heart and my time, but help me fix my eyes on you. Some of you are familiar with this passage in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what I found fascinating in my journey with God is anytime money will get talked about, or sexual purity, or loving those that hate you. I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm just being really honest with you, I, I just really struggled with it. I come into church and I saw church through the filter of those three things and anytime those three things would come up, I would always pray like prayers to God, like, hey God, you really understand. And if people tried to question me, I'd be like, listen, don't judge me, me and God have a thing, okay? You know, we got something special, you know? And I realize now, not then, but now, I realize why the Bible says our flesh and our spirit fight against one another. How they wage war in our soul. Because your flesh wants to be served first. But God is second to no one. Not even your flesh. And to live by the spirit means to be surrendered to his word. And so we cheer and we worship all the time, but many times we we satisfy the flesh and we gratify it and we become slaves to it. But that's why Paul says you're no longer a slave to it. Yeah, we can mess up and we can fall short of the glory of God. 
But when we do it, God is faithful to bring us back. He's faithful to love upon us and to welcome us back into the fold. Every time I would hear things about finances or sexual purity, I would, I don't know. I, I don't now, but um, I remember in those moments when the pastor would talk about it, I'd be like, oh man, will you just get over this? And I didn't know why it got me so upset. It's because what God wanted to do is let that part die in me and trust him fully. So sometimes people would say, why do you talk about it, Pastor? Why, why do you talk about this and why do you talk about that? Because one will rule and set free or one will enslave and condemn. And as long as we live, this is the greatest weapon that you and I have ever been given. It's the word of God. It's the sword of truth. It divides the flesh from the spirit. It's a double-edged sword. And I want you to know that as we navigate through uncertainty, we are certain. We are confident. We are faith-filled. We are bold. We are courageous. We're patient. We're kind. Why? Because we're all programmed that way. No. It's because of he who lives within us. Enables us and empowers us to do the very thing that we couldn't accomplish in our own strength. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he asked God to deal with a thorn in his side. <laughs> God, fix this. I got a problem. need you to fix this. And what is the word from heaven to him? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul's probably being like, no, it ain't. You know? <laughs> need a little more of it. You know? He says, no, my grace is sufficient. And then he tells Paul something where I don't think Paul ever thought that he'd hear this from heaven because he says, my, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Think about that. So what is he saying? Stay in the area of, of sin? No, he's saying the area of weakness that causes you te tension and pain. He says, I'm still there in that. I haven't left that. I'm not just in the feel goods of Sunday worship and the cruise. I'm not just in the feel goods of the bonuses. I'm in the points of, of loss and lack. I'm in the point of healing and restoration. I'm in all of it. And he says, my power is perfected in that. I think what God is saying is that when you get to the place of saying, I can't do anything, God says, you're at a place now. And I can do all things through Christ who can strengthen, who strengthens me. It's our dependency on God. It's our dependency on God. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I want to leave an eternal legacy, what does it look like? What does it look like? Two scriptures before we close. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way they will lay up for themselves treasures in heaven and as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may, not, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I need to tell you something. If you're here today and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, it doesn't pertain. And I know I'm saying that with caution because I know there's people that come to our church and watch online and you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus. You know, some, when you read commands of people, you're like, man, I don't, I don't like that. Well, if, you're gonna, if your flesh rules, you won't like it. But if you know one is greater than you, who's redeemed you, who's called you, who's chosen you, who's set you apart, who says you're the head and not the tail, you're above and not beneath, you're an ambassador of the Son of God. 
You're called, you're chosen, and you're favored to walk out. We surrender our, our desires to him. And so when he says, this is your best, this is your command, we receive it, we trust it, and we walk in it. Can you say amen? Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For as I have often told you before, this is Paul in prison, writing to the church of Philippi, in shackles and in chains, and he's writing to the church. He says, And I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But he reminds the church, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to leave an eternal legacy, give yourself to God, all of it. And God knows what it means to give all yourself to God. I want you to know as we continue to leave a legacy in this church and as we continue to operate, my father has guided me well through the years and provided boundaries and direction in leadership. And as a church, I know people look out and they say, man, you have so much and we do, but it's come from the guidance of men like my father with wisdom and good stewardship. Everything that our church takes in, we operate on about 75% of that. We have large margins that we operate in. And we do that with intentionality. So when any obstacle, such as the season we're in, or opportunity presents itself, we're able to act. That we're not dependent upon the day-to-day, but that we can create margin. And of that that we operate in, we have a bucket of personnel expense, of ministry expense, and facility expense, proportionally delegated amongst the three. Every year when we budget, we take 90% of what we actually receive through tithes and offerings and budget into the next year. So you say, what are you telling us this for? I want you to know that we take seriously this eternal legacy that we're commanded to leave. That we don't take it lightly. We don't act flippantly on how we spend things and what we do. That we, we take it with sincere authority because I know that I want my children and their children and their children's children to not just have a building to worship in, but to have a house with a spirit that loves God, to have a house with a spirit that is generous, to have a house with a spirit where love and peace are evident, where every person is welcome, no matter where they're from or what their background, wherever they find themselves, they're welcome in the doors of True North Church. And we don't just give to give, We give to leave something of eternity in the hearts of people. Over 400 people have said yes to Jesus. Nearly 20 are getting baptized after our third service today. We see people getting saved and surrendering their lives to God. We see people getting healed, marriages being restored, people being set free from addictions. This is what it means to live a life for God. And we'll be committed to that as a church. And I pray that that's what you're committed to in your own home. Man, as a church, we can do so much together. We can do so much and accomplish so many things for God together. Don't be confused in seasons like this. It's not a time to step to the side and be overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. It's a time to press forward, to live aggressively for God. Remind yourself that you're a steward and not an owner.
I know sometimes we can drive down our driveways or get in our cars or put on our clothes and just say, man, I, this is mine. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and everything within it. And as a son of God, I take seriously all that he's blessed me with, but I know it's come from him. You want to leave an eternal legacy? Give yourself to God. Be yourself as a steward and not as an owner. And maybe most importantly, determine in your heart to live a life through the lens of eternity each and every day. Hebrews 11, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let me pray for you as we go today. Maybe you're here and you're familiar with church. Maybe that's dangerous, I don't know. You're familiar with the way the service flows and the way that things happen in service. And you're familiar that at the end of the service, we give people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you need to take reflection on where you are in your walk with God. Where are you with your journey with Jesus? Has he become secondary? He will never be second. He will always be first. But he wants you to acknowledge that by the way that you live your life. Maybe you're here today or watching online, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you want to do so today. I know for many people, the first reaction when we talk about salvation and coming to Jesus is this is what we tell ourselves, Pastor, I'm not ready yet, I'm almost there. As if you need more time in the oven to cook and bake and then once things are ready, then you can come. Can I tell you something? You've done enough. You'll never be able to live a life that is holy enough and pure enough to stand in the presence of a perfect and pure God and to earn your salvation. The Bible says that there's one way to the Father and it's through Jesus. Jesus paid your, your sin for your sins, paid it in full. And all you need to do is to repent of your ways, to place your hope and your trust in Jesus. But my friend, it's more than just a simple prayer. It's more than just, man, I just wanna make sure this is right. It's you acknowledging who God is and who Christ is today. And so if that's you and you're ready to receive Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. What a privilege it is for me to do this, to lead you in a prayer of salvation. The Bible says, actually, on the other side of this prayer, your life begins. The Bible says that the promises to you are yes and amen on the other side of this prayer, that the old is gone and the new has come, that the Holy Spirit now abides within you, that you are the temple of God, <laughs> your bodies. I want to lead you in this prayer. Don't let them say it alone, church. Repeat this prayer with them together. Come on, let's say this and lead people into the family of God. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your Son, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap. Come on, really clap for everybody that said yes today. Come on, church, stand to your feet with me. Thank you, Christian. Are you doing all right? Are you doing all right, church? Hey, listen, I know it's so easy to be a people and absorb all the voices and all the sounds around you and having to give an answer and an opinion to everybody. I want you to know that 
You should be consumed about giving an answer to one above anyone else. And it's our Father in heaven. Live a life that's pleasing to him. In all that you do, in all the tensions, in all the people pulling you in all these different directions, may our eyes be fixed upon Jesus. May our hearts be directed towards him in all of our ways. It helps us stay out of the craziness of a culture that we're not called to step away from, but to be in, but not of, so that we can be the salt and the light of the world in a broken place. Amen? Hey, if you said yes to Jesus, it is the best decision uh, you can ever make in your life. And um, if you're here today and you're leaving through the foyer, which I don't know how else you'd get out, so uh, you'd have to go out that way. Um, but there's people out there, they're holding these Bibles above their head. They love to bless you with one. And if you're watching online, we have a team, pastors, leaders, um, they are standing by. They'd love to pray with you to encourage you. We'd send you a Bible if you'd request one. And, um, but I'm so excited not only for what God has done and what he is doing, but what he's going to do in and through you and your family. Will you stretch your hands to heaven? Let me pray for you before you go. Father, I thank you that you've called us, that you have positioned us and chosen us for such a time as this. Father, I know our flesh wants to hide at times. We want to actually listen to the chaos of fear and we want to run and just wait till it's all over. And then just come back out after hiding and pretend that everything's good. But God, you've called us to stand in the gap to be a people of faith, to take people who are lost and broken and hopeless and hurting and to point them to you. So Father, in this season, may we not miss our opportunity. May we be intentional people to live a life, to leave an eternal legacy. Father, I thank you for the salvations today. I thank you for the baptisms today. Father, I thank you for the next steps of people committing to walk closer to you. Father, be with us as we go. May faith arise in us. May hope be strong as we go today. In your precious and holy name we pray, a faithful church said, amen. Amen. God bless.